Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with Mike. Hey, hey, everybody. We've got a special guest interview today for a game currently on Kickstarter. So welcome to the show, Brendan McCaskill from Oom Games. Brendan, how you doing? Hey, doing good. How are you guys? And Brendan and Oom Games have put on Kickstarter a game called Starlight. Uh, I did a couple preview videos for it, so you can check those out on the YouTube channels. But this is basically a campaign game of space combat and space survival with narrative, uh, different narrative choices, planet exploration, and lots and lots of yummy, yummy space combat. So we're going to get into the game a little bit. But before that, let me thank some of our Patreon supporters. This week, we're thanking Charles Fox, a co-op lover, Torgair Tajong, a co-op lover, and Ronan Dexer, a co-op MVP. Thank you to the three of you and to all of our supporters. You help us put the Patreon on. That's not what I say. You help us put the podcast on, help us support the YouTube channel, go to conventions to cover all the new games. We could not do it without you. Uh, thank you all so much. So before we jump into Starlight, we'd like to ask our guests, uh, how did you get to gaming? Yeah, so... I think I've always been like a maybe a closet nerd um, <laughs> that have, uh, has, has fully embraced that part of who I am. You know, growing up, I would uh, play lots and lots of Risk um, with my with my family, obviously. And then I was like introduced to a game called Axes and Allies, and it was great. I played it with uh, my cousin and or a couple of my cousins, and we played it all weekend. Right, it was those fifteen hour epic campaigns, and I realized five or 10 years later that I was actually playing it incorrectly where you should be able to win in a couple hours. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so, you know, kind of going on there, I've just always been interested in, in games and, and video games in general too. I don't, I don't know when, I guess when I got, I guess awakened, like everyone is in this kind of second wave or whatever. Um, when you realize there's more games than risk and, uh, and other stuff. There's this guy, this this um, um, guy in this church I actually grew up going with. Uh, he he was you know in his early twenties, and he had this collection of board games. So just some old crazy cool stuff. So I I don't know if you're familiar with a train building game called uh, Iron Dragon. Or no, I think I. I I, so, so I say dragon in the, the wrong way because it's a uh, Canadian way I say dragon. But um, wait, wait, hold on, <laughs> hold, hold, stop, stop everything. Canadians yeah. say dragon. Yeah, so I, I actually married an American, and she makes fun of me a lot. But we're in Canada, so we all make fun of her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it because I mean it's weird. Like I've heard so many things, like little plays and skits and movies and things on like what a Canadian accent might be. That, that yeah, seems like a one know. that is rife for, you know, poking fun at it. I've never heard that before. I love it. No, in, in the flesh. I think it really came um, came to the surface while we're watching Game of Thrones. I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's Daenerys, there's Daenerys on her dragons. And Jocelyn, <laughs> my wife, looks at me he's like, on on, the, on her what? Dragons, you know, her dragons. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess no, that's, that's not a word you'd use in polite conversation too often, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, so anyways, a game called Iron Dragon. Uh it is a little bit like Empire Builder. And so basically everyone has like a crayon and you're actually building your map on this like really cool laminated surface. Anyways, that game was sweet. Played a lot of Risk 2210. Uh, what other? I, I was introduced to Twilight Imperium. 
there. That was an, a nuts experience. And <laughs> all, all these like epic experiences were so cool. And then I kind of, uh, I went, went to college and did the college thing. And then kind of, I guess, during college, right, you, you pick up Settlers and it's like, well, this is great again. And then you pick up Dominion. And then really in the past, I don't know, six, seven years, um, I started actually kind of building my own collection and just kind of getting into a lot of games. And so uh, my, my, my favorites right now... Um, you know, I, I love Spirit Island uh, if I'm in the mind or in the mood for like a, a crunchy um, co-op. Um, and I guess we're on one-stop co-op shop, so here we go. Uh, so Spirit <laughs> Island's a, 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 a fun one that we've been we've been playing a lot. And so my, my wife's favorite game is, is Terraforming Mars. So we, we get that one to the table a lot. Um, it's a very non-aggressive game of terraforming mars we just do our own thing anytime there's an event where you hurt the other person we just ignore it um because it's like what's the point you're, you're just trying to build up your own place yeah so those, those games get played a lot and then you know once in a while i'll dabble so we, we picked up tainted grail and that one's been fun although we got stuck in a section and then the oh, coronavirus no. hit and then we just paused everything well we didn't get stuck it's just i got i got i was personally i got kind of burnt out and Ah, what is that? Have you guys played it? Uh, yeah, I, I've played it a bunch. I don't think you've played it yet, Steve, right? Not yet. I will play it when the next wave. Comes oh gosh, you, you did everything in one wave. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, Brendan. What were you going <laughs> to say? No, you're you're going to be waiting until like 2032, probably for that. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, I I I love Awakened Realms, but that was like, oh no, I'm definitely doing two wave shipping here. Um, and uh, oh, what is it? It's it's when they go into the city, and it's like you're in this like nether world type thing, and you're like cycling between four different location cards. Anyways, it got I got really tired in that area, and so we just kind of skipped it. Um, and I'm I'm ready to jump back in. I think I'm ready. I'm right in the midst of trying to figure out how I feel about Tainted Grail because it was my game of the year of last year. But uh, on the YouTube channel, I do this feature called Shelf Life, and it's on the chopping block this uh, month. So. I've been uh, <laughs> in my repeated plays. I've been yeah. seeing some of the things people complain about, like the grindiness of it and that kind of thing. So I'm figuring out where I stand on it. Yeah, I, I almost have to work myself like it is an incredible production, but like I almost have to work myself up to play it, um, which I, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. Like the first, I don't know, 10 hours were, were incredible. And now I'm unsure. No, that's where I am too. Definitely good inspiration for your own big campaign game though. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would be lying if I uh, if, if I said I didn't check out Awakened Realms uh, pages because how, how they structure the pages. Like, you know, they, they're a Kickstarter slick machine these days, right? Um, it, it seems like they can do no wrong. And even though the Great Wall was a, I'm using air quotes, was a, a failure probably in their eyes, it still like crushes a million dollars or $2 million, whatever it is. And so it's it's just super cool how, how they have taken like the role of narrative and are bringing that to a board games. And I think in a unique way. And so I, I love how they're pushing, pushing the bounds. So Brendan, now that we know kind of some of your history as a gamer, how about this uh, crazy idea? So, so I see you've, you've done one game on Kickstarter before, but not nearly as large as Starlight. Can you just kind of talk about Oom games and how you got into this whole designing and publishing? Thing? Yeah. Yeah. So what was it now? Two, I think two years ago, two and a half years ago, I, 
Um, well, okay, let me preface this. It was right before Fortnite got popular. And, uh, and, and I'd always wanted to make a board game. And, you know, I've kind of, I had dabbled with a couple other Kickstarter ideas. And I was like, eh, nothing's really fitting well. And there's an entrepreneur in me that saw this, like, hey, you know, this whole um, battle royale genre is like taking off. Uh, there's no board games that kind of capture it. What if I, I kind of create a board game and, and pitch it as like the battle royale board game? And so I did that. I And so the game's called Last One Standing. And I hired a, a Russian artist. And so it was me and this Russian artist, the guy, he did all the, all, all the artwork. But I think I literally did everything else. And so I was working full time somewhere else and doing this Kickstarter by myself. And it was like a not so experience. And I think it took like 20 days to fund. And our funding goal was only like $25,000 or something. And so it was like a very, very different experience than what, what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we ended with like 500 backers, 28,000. And then the game came out and, and kind of, and it was like a crazy experience. I'm happy I did most of it myself because I learned a ton. I learned, you know, what it means to engage community well, what it means to uh, kind of make a game and, and all the different components. Um, and then when you think you're finished making a game, there's actually like a whole other chunk of stuff that you have to do. And so I was kind of really excited about all that. And, you know, kind of, um, it was right before I got married and it was, I had looked at my savings. I was like, okay, do I save up for a down deposit for a home or do I potentially waste all this waste in quotes, all this money on like a board game? It's like, oh, let's do a board game. I'm, I'm not married yet. <laughs> and, uh, that's kind of what it was, right? Cause you know, the initial startup and, and everything I was like, hey, this will probably cost me 10 grand if, if I just fail and, and fall on my face. And it's not like, maybe it's chump change for some people, but for me, I'm like, you know, single guy in my mid twenties. I was like, this is all the money I ever have had. But you know, I, I it's something I wanted to do. And I, I believed in the idea. And I, I thought the market was ripe for it. And so it was cool funded, it was like modest success, right? So we just funded. But the really neat thing is, there's this guy in town, his name is Lance Preeb. So in town being Kelowna, British Columbia here in Canada. And you might be familiar with the name, but Lance was one of the original founders of the small online world called Club Penguin. And mm -hmm. uh, Club Club Penguin, if you're unfamiliar, millions of users, uh, Disney ended up buying it from the small company in Kelowna for a couple hundred million dollars. And so, uh, so Lance, one of the founders, you know, overnight became like this millionaire. Um, and he worked with Disney for you know for a couple of years, but ended up um, parting ways. And he founded a couple of studios, but um, kind of the one main one is called Hyper Hippo, and they do mobile games and and they're popular mobile game right now is adventure capitalist or adventure communist um it's an idle game and so it does does quite well for him and and for the company i think they employ like 100 people here in town i've played and, that that's a fun game <laughs> for, yeah yeah for, so, for idle so that, games and like kind of the nothing that is in them that's actually a pretty good one that's exactly right it's and that was one of the like pioneers of the idle game genre um and it's been going a while uh so and a couple of years, right around the last one standing era, uh, Lance 
and another guy in town was like, you know what, it'd be cool. Let's let's start a board game company because he he's been a board game nerd, kind of being a video game nerd like most of us are. And he so he started a board game company, Um Games. And then he sent me a message on Kickstarter, being like, hey, love love your Kickstarter, love that you're local. Like, do you want to have a coffee? And that kind of kicked off a relationship between Lance and I, and he ended up purchasing the the rights to Last One Standing, which was like super cool. I actually ended up making like a, a modest amount of money on the game because he bought the remainder of my inventory, which was fantastic. Well done. And then, yeah, so that was great. And then they ended up producing a second edition of the game, which we I think we just released. So it's on Amazon and everything. And it's cool because it's, it's a game that like, Honestly, if if you you were to come over, like Steve and Mike, if you came to my house, um, maybe I'll show you last one standing. Like, hey, this is the game I made, but I probably won't play that with you because it's not like a super nerdy game. It's uh, it's it's an intro game. My my nephews who are like seven and eight years old, they love it to death. Um, and and that's like the type of game it is. Uh, so it's not like the board game geek community game. Um, and so it, it does actually decently on, on Amazon and stuff. And so our direct sales, we kind of continue rolling that out. Um, so all that leads me to kind of the spot in the summer where, where Lance ended up offering me uh, a job full time with Um Games being a designer and a community manager with them. And uh, before that, I had pitched this idea of Starlight to him and he had signed off on it. And I, I had an artist that I that had lined up and it was just kind of this crazy idea that had been forming for a while. And the idea had kind of come from um, from playing, you know, lots of different video games, but then also kind of experiencing what a board game could be if it was different, like in, in Gloomhaven. I, I remember there's a summer I just spent with a couple of my friends and we just played so many hours. We're like, well, this is what a, a game that's not D&D, but still a board game and still has that kind of a, a good tactic, tactile feeling, uh, but infused with narrative and progression um, could be. And because I, I just love, like, I love progression and the kind of the feeling that you get when you level up, when you buy upgrades, when you unlock new stuff, like that is such a cool feeling. Um, and I think it's just ripe in, in a board game and it can be done well. And I, I hadn't seen it in a sci-fi game. So I, I hadn't seen any sci-fi kind of sprawling universes that kind of incorporated these, these wonderful ideas of progression and, and narrative in, in a way that I wanted to play. And so Starlight kind of started um, ruminating and turning and, you know, kind of was in touch with an artist and kind of snowballed from there. That's great, man. Uh, so quick context before we kind of get into the discussion of Starlight. So as I noted, I've already done some YouTube videos. I've played j just some kind of tutorial missions, I would say, like just the first uh, four missions or so of the game. That's all I got. I'm coming at uh, Starlight with some experience of playing the game and as a designer myself, Whereas, Steve, you haven't played the game at all. Have you gotten a chance to check out the Kickstarter page and watch some of the videos, Steve? Yeah, and the rulebook. So, Steve, why don't you kind of uh, take us off? I think you, uh, you're you the one who might have the most questions about the game. But, uh, yeah, where, where do you want to start? Well, I like hearing from the designer on how, how they like to describe the game to people. So, I guess, how, how would you go about telling people about this game, Starlight? Yeah, totally. So... Starlight, it's it's a sci-fi cooperative game, or like a solo cooperative game for one to four players. Um, and when I describe it to people, it's it is a space combat game, and and probably the main part is is kind of a dungeon crawly space 
combat part, but it's also includes a couple other key kind of pillars is what I say. So there's um, the space exploration piece where you actually explore the galaxy in, in a meta uh, meta kind of game experience. Uh, there's world exploration where you actually leave your little ships and you, you land on planets, moons, other ships, and, and you explore kind of seventh continent-esque. There's space combat and then obviously kind of throughout all of that there's customizing your pilot and ship. And so it's, it is like a, you know, when I say it like that, I was like, holy, that's, that's, that's too ambitious, friend. And I'm like, oh, maybe it is. <laughs> the, <laughs> when, when I kind of a- approached Starlight, it started off as basically just a space dungeon, ju- dungeon crawler. And we kind of, I, I got this idea and the game, and I was like, hey, this flows fairly well. And when, when I was playing and kind of doing this campaign, I was just like, had this urge to do what they do in Star Trek. And it's like, let's just like leave our ship and, and beam down to a planet and explore. And, and so that kind of uh, really evolved the game where, you know, we, we tried to not add too much complexity, but we, we wanted to, we wanted players to experience what it's like to uh, not just be tied up in your ship, but be a pilot that actually kind of steps out and explores these new worlds. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're totally right, Mike. The, the prologue that we sent you, it's, it's like, it's just that, right. It was uh, it is a prologue and, and we treat it very much like a video game um, treats a tutorial where uh, each mission is, yeah, we introduce the players to a to a new concept. We we intentionally, and you know, maybe this is um, bad for re, you know a review case, uh, case, but we intentionally hold the player's hand uh, in those first couple missions because because we want them to kind of experience each of the aspects and be introduced um, in a gradual ramping way to Starlight. Since you've uh, brought Star Trek, does that mean we have some type of red shirt reference in here? Because that'd be awesome. You know what? I'm excited for a handful of fun sci-fi Easter eggs. There's one really like fun one, but not many people notice it, which is okay. <laughs> it's like there's there's not many that are visible yet just because like, we haven't released the full uh, scenarios. Right. But there may or may not be a Tesla Roadster flying in the game board in an asteroid belt somewhere. So... But that's uh that's <laughs> that's uh, I, I that's may because or may I'm, not have seen it so uh <laughs> yeah i'm uh, uh that's my space i don't know if it's going to make the final cut but uh a personal selfish dream of mine is to have elon musk um take starlight into space uh but we'll, we'll, we'll get there one day <laughs> you know i want to say the uh kind of the landing on a planet thing called to mind for me like a little bit less uh, Star Trek because of like the the space battles and small ships. Maybe think a little bit more of uh, maybe Battlestar Galactica or Space Battleship mm, Yamato, yeah. like, you know, uh, where you're yeah. like in little fighters shooting things. But then you also have your missions going down on the planet and exploring and having surprises and that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's it's hard to when when you read the initial narrative, you're like, oh, yeah, this is like has some influence of Battlestar Galactica. And, and if if you say that, and I, th- I think you actually mentioned that to me personally, Mike, I'm like, heck yes, like I love Battlestar Galactica. I don't think that's a, a, a bad kind of starting point. Um, no, no, no. I, I, yeah. I like the direction the narrative, the little piece I saw was going for sure. So uh, it might be good to get into a little bit of how the game plays and like the turn structure a little bit for our listeners so they kind of know when we get into a little bit more what how the game actually evolves. How do you... How did you take this concept of these four pillars and actually make it work mechanically? 
Yeah, totally. So kind of how Starlight will work in a, in a typical session is you'll sit down with your friends or just by yourself and uh, you'll have the, the galaxy map and there will be uh, the Sparrow ship. And this is kind of your, your base of operations. So all of your um, individual fighter ships are on the Sparrow. And it's cool. We, we just actually unlocked the stretch goal where this is a, a miniature that will be included in all the boxes. So yay for that. But uh, you'll use the Sparrow to explore new regions and the regions are on uh, tarot sized cards. And, and that's, you know, in some ways similar, similar to a Tainted Grail type exploration where you move the miniature and you're exploring an unfolding area of the galaxy. And you can also warp in between different sections uh, later on. But as you explore, you'll find different actions that you can take in these regions. And the, the scouting action will move you to the scenario book. And so you'll kind of say, okay, I'm going to scout this sector. And it's, it says S21. And then you'll flip open the scenario book. And you'll realize that S21 is is a space battle. And, and maybe you were sent here from a, from a different mission or different quest. And so then uh, the scenario book will kind of instruct, give you instructions on how to set up the, the game board. Uh, you'll read through a piece of narrative. And then you'll launch into the uh, to the game, and so what, whatever the objective is, whether it's uh, destroying all enemy ships or escorting one of your ships or or um, just securing a location for a certain amount of turns, then you'll kind of resolve that, and and hopefully you win. And so the space combat, how how it generally works is each of the players has four action dice. You'll roll the action dice, and in front of you is your player mat and this is kind of like your user interface and so on it you'll see your ship you'll see your pilots and you'll see all the different upgrades that your ship has Um, there's slots for weapons for engines for tech upgrades for a ship special ability and a pilot special ability and uh, you use your action dice to activate these abilities and you and your friends actually all can operate simultaneously and so you're flying around this uh, game board, um, doing your abilities, fighting, using special upgrades, all that stuff as you're trying to kind of kill the enemies, do your objectives. And then the enemies go, and the enemies operate similar-esque to um, kind of Gloomhaven's uh, AI deck where something flips and actions perform. But because the combat, the space combat at least in Starlight is kind of very directionally focused. There's a lot of uh, uh, ships kind of rotating, moving into certain locations, um, flanking that happens because you get a bonus if you if you attack from behind, um, and that kind of rinses and repeats until the end of the scenario where you then resolve um, whatever it is. You get your upgrades, you get your resources, you get your your bounty. While you're on the Sparrow, you can equip buy new stuff, um, upgrade your ships. And yeah, so that's kind of the, like the space part of it. Um, if that scouting mission were to send you to a planet, then you would uh, you would actually leave the planet. You would use your, your pilot miniature and you would step out into kind of an unfolding area with these square cards that, you know, is reminiscent of like a Seventh Continent-esque um, area where you're exploring, you're, you're reading different lore options, you're doing skill checks, and you're working through, uh, through a different scenario that way. I mean, I wish you had picked some games that people actually like for your inspirations. You know, Gloomhaven, Seventh Continent, <laughs> Tainted Grail, like, those are all highly unpopular so just terrible choices being made <laughs> <laughs> ter- ter- terrible choices yeah you know and i think this is for better or for worse right whenever you use a game that people love and adore 
and this is this is why I use it. It gives them a reference point where you know you say something where it's like seventh consonant. Most people are like, oh yeah, I know that there's these square cards and I have miniatures and I'm moving and I'm building up this expanding thing, right? It just links people in. But then at the same time, you're you're actually bringing in the weight of a game like seventh consonant, where it's like this is then like are you comparing yourself to seventh continent? Like I'm like no heck no I'm not. It's just you know it's reminiscent of of some of those things and i i'm i'm a i'm a firm believer that most great art is just uh is like stolen and adapted and brought together and then iterated upon yeah <laughs> well, and, and as somebody who's played i'll say that it doesn't feel like any of those games you know for i think for a good way it's first of all it's way more i think streamlined and straightforward than any of those three I don't, I don't know what your regular playtests have been, but for me, even playing with two ships, even controlling them both myself, whereas they can be simultaneous with two players, I was finishing my fights in like 20 or 30 minutes, you know, yeah. whereas Seventh Continent, Tainted Grail, Gloomhaven, those are all games that are kind of thought of as hundred plus hour experiences if you play through the whole thing in gloomhaven one scenario can be like two or three hours depending on how quickly you play we wanted to stay away from that so kind of what we're aiming for a sweet spot is like a from start to finish right from setup to kind of your your space exploration to kind of the conclusion of the mission we want that to be about 15 to 20 minutes per player because you know we want a session to be about an an hour ish uh, because then, you know, it's like, hey, let's let's go on another mission, right? And then you can go on another mission. Yeah, that's really refreshing change of pace from all these large games that, well, even like you said before in our early discussion, you have to be like build up to like playing something like Tainted Grail or Gloomhaven. Like, man, I got to refresh my mind on how the game plays. Got to get all these tokens and maps and boards set out. And it, it kind of ties into something else I want to touch on too and how you I've seen you've approach this game a little bit differently where you try to reduce or minimize the usage of tokens in this game. I mean, so I'm curious how you approach this, like, well, you use dual layer boards to help with that, but did you find this approach to be easier or harder than just going with the token route? I think as, as a game designer, oftentimes it's like when you're talking about status effects or just all these things that we're just used to playing in our game, you, you don't even think of anything besides tokens you know for some things I, I believe tokens are necessary and in a way they bring a little bit of um i guess board game table presence this was actually it was a revelation to me when i played scythe for the or scythe i would say for the first time i, I think you say it uh dragon uh, <laughs> when i played dragon for the first time um, i i remember i think that was the first game it's probably not the first game ever but the first game i played that had dual layer kind of mats and i was just enamored i was like whoa this is incredible i just remember moving my little meeple things and the little buildings blew me away i'm like why don't more games use this and then playing tainted grail it was another like refreshing thing. It, it was like, I don't know, three, three hours in, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for one of those red cubes and I'm, I'm slotting it into a place. And I'm like, why are there only cubes? I, like there's, there's nothing else in, in that game besides, well, th sorry, there's a ton of stuff in that game. What am I saying? There's so much in that game. They don't have status markers, really. They have the, these little time tokens and other things, but the majority of it's just used with cubes. And like this, like is for me, that part of the game was actually refreshing. It's like, yeah, in some ways it gets 
tedious, the actual actions, but the management, I, at least I found in Tainted Girl wasn't heavy. Like I didn't feel like I had to do all this admin work. And then I'm also just not an organized guy. And well, I'm organized in some ways, but I'm not organized in the way where I uh, 3D print my own custom tray for Gloomhaven um, or <laughs> that I feel compelled to spend $200 on an insert. Um, and so whenever I would search for a, a stun token or whatever it is, it just like it killed me each time. And so I was so like incredibly happy when I found the Gloomhaven helper app and I would just we would just have our laptop set up to the side and it would do everything for us which was fantastic but it kind of like propelled me into thinking why can't like why can't we iterate why can't we innovate in board games and and not be tied down to ad- administrative work that i don't think many people like like we don't like searching through our massive boxes to find those two tokens that we need like and f- at least for me, it's just not enjoyable. And so it's like, how can we um, do this? And there's this wonderful piece of technology of these dual layer mats that I was, I was kind of looking into things. So just, I, I, I felt that we hadn't fully taken advantage of. And so I hope, I'm not too sure, but I hope that we set a precedent with Starlight where it's like, hey, you know what? Let's only use tokens when they're necessary and when they're actually useful. Uh, let's actually start to think when we design games in, in a way where I, I feel like video game designers have to focus on it because they, they have limited um, real estate on their screens, right? And especially mobile game designers, like they, they don't have much space to work with, so they have to get creative. I was like, okay, you know what? Can't, I wonder if that's a benefit for board game designers too. It's like, let's, let's kind of constrain ourselves in some ways in a way what that actually benefits the player in the long run, right? Where they don't approach a game like Starlight and it's like, oh shoot, I don't know if I want to play this because this is going to take 30 minutes to set up. Like that's, I don't want that to happen. Um, and so how can I eliminate the barriers for people to get in a game, get going, have fun, share stories together? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, looking at these board games from a user experience mindset because I feel like we do that for a lot of other products in our life and other approaches, but it still applies to board games. And there are some games that do better than others for sure. And they, de- they, in my opinion, they do stand out. Sometimes in these reviews, when we talk about them, I'll point out a few things here that I could could definitely improve the, the U- UX or user experience of it. I'm hoping we can get there to start differentiating our games a little bit more. But yeah, I I'm, I'm, was very pleased to see this dual layer approach to help eliminate tokens. I think that's a a great step in that with that mindset in that regard. Yeah. And to kind of illustrate or describe what we're talking about, if you haven't seen on the Kickstarter page, because I know I was super impressed with these in my playthrough, uh, especially so the, the player boards are dual layered, but also each of the enemies, you can have up to eight enemies yeah. in play at a time. They each have like their own like little dual layer board, which is super cool. I've definitely never seen that before. And like their card goes in there, keeps track of their uh, shields and their hull points. But uh, the coolest thing, and this is, I think, uh, one of the main things Brendan was talking about there, you have like little boxes for each possible status effect that could be affecting them, and you just put cubes in the little boxes. So you don't have to have a token for them being slowed or a token for them being stunned. You just put a generic cube in the correct spot. So it is a lot like Tainted Grail and kind of their food and their magic and all the resources there. But it works flawlessly, especially uh, (laughs) playing a lot of big dungeon crawlers and even Gloomhaven, because I know there's some inspiration for the enemies probably the most. The enemies are most similar, I would say. Even Gloomhaven, like with them kind of having a clever thing with like the six slots, I would just find things getting like really muddled and confusing. Whereas with each uh, player having their own board, 
Uh, that, that was really nice. Yeah. Thanks for that. By the way, I did want to mention one thing. So did you say ship abilities? We, uh, we listened to our audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so for some context, uh, if, if you watch my review, you, you, th- those of you who are fans of the YouTube channel, you know, my, uh, my reviews, especially for Kickstarters are always a mix of things I love and things that I'm not sure about. And one of the things I wasn't sure about was differentiation in the ships. Like they get different tech cards, but I was like hoping that they would be more different. And my choice of which ship I piloted would be more different. So did you all add something new or you're playing with something new that would like increase that differentiation? You know, we we had been toying with a few ideas kind of even before we sent it your way. Um, but just with time constraints and stuff, we we sent you what we had. You know, when when you're talking about differentiating ships even even further, it was like, yep. You know, we, we have some stuff in, in, on, in, in the chopping block or or just that was sitting there. And we, we took another look and we're like, you know what? This is something that we can do um, quite easily. That's not going to kind of unbalance whatever our, our, our setup and all that stuff. And so every ship right now comes with two unique ship abilities um, that are unlocked as you progress. And, uh, and you'll be able to equip one of those into your ship. Um, just to further differentiate it. So each of the ships have their own classes, right? Which allow certain upgrades and their own starting um, stats. But now we've added the ship ability. So, yep. No, I, I love it, man. That's that's literally all I needed. So there you go. I, I can cross off one of my own sole concerns <laughs> with the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's like, I think that's the beauty about Kickstarter. I, you know, some... There is there is the temptation just to kind of throw everything into the game that people want, but if you can if you can kind of parse out maybe the good ideas from just like the ideas, you can really take advantage of the the community platform that Kickstarter is. Because like the people who are backing Starlight right now, they're not casual gamers. Um, a casual gamer doesn't drop you know uh, seventy five USD or a hundred USD plus shipping on a game, right? It's just not a thing. So these people, these like 3,000 backers, they are people who have played games. They, they know what works in games. They have good ideas. And so it's like, okay, hey, can we actually listen to the ideas? And, and not just the ideas, but can, can, we, can we point out, pick out the good ideas and then be willing to maybe adjust in a way where we're staying true to Starlight's vision, but we're also using the community to help build a, a much better product at the end. Yeah, and I've already noticed this kind of, I I, <laughs> I will confess that I am on your comment uh, section for the Kickstarter pretty often. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think you, you've been very gracious. You've been interacting with people a lot. As someone who's been involved in several Kickstarters as like, you know, on the creative side, I think you are making it look pretty easy and being like polite and listening to people, but also making it clear that you can't do everything, <laughs> you know, right, like right. you're, you're, you're doing well so far. So nicely done. And can, can I just do a public shout out to Kevlar? Kevlar is like a community member that is the greatest community member of all time who helps field so many people's questions. And so Kev, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm getting you a starlight hat period. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. Now, something else I wanted to talk about just from my experience playing it. And also I, I was following your uh, development diaries back in the day. And I know I had reached out on board game geek quite a while back. I think, am I correct in saying at one point it was kind of an action 
system like you would play action cards to move and like do stuff with your ship and then at some point you switch to the dice driven yeah so i think that's like the double-edged sword of doing a development diary right (laughs) you uh you reveal how much you you change things yeah totally i it was at the beginning i won't lie it was kind of a, a shameless uh gloomhaven in space knockoff as far as how how it worked um, but I did a, I uploaded a, a couple scenarios onto Tabletopia, sent it out to like 50 or 100 um, playtesters. It was crazy. We actually had some sweet feedback in those early days. Comment after comment, it was people like, you know what? Like, I love that I can do some of these things, but I'm just feeling forced into not not moving or doing the actions like I wanted to do. And and because the the biggest difference between you know Starlight and Gloomhaven is that in Starlight, there is no such thing as a move for action, right? You can't just move your ship four spaces, whatever direction you want. You have to rotate your ship and move it in the direction that is shown on the engine card. So kind of like a um, a simplified version of the X-Wing uh, movement kind of cardboard cutouts. It's like we, we give you this. Like, okay, you a barrel roll is move over one to the right, but you're still facing forward. Or there's like the bank and jet, right, where you move one to the right and you shoot two or three spaces forward. And because in our kind of initial kind of two card, you know, the Gloomhaven style, right, you choose two cards and then um, you choose the next two cards. It's not like... On, on one turn, you're like, you know what? I want to barrel roll this turn. So barrel roll. And then suddenly you can't actually use that card for like three or four more turns. I'm like, okay, this isn't like very fun. Um, that's number one. And it just wasn't like evoking that dogfight feel that I wanted. Like I wanted the combat in Starlight to be kind of like a fast and furious um, Star Wars fight scene where you're kind of in the combat and just stuff is going on and you're like you feel empowered so you're like you know what if I want to get behind this enemy and shoot him cool I can do that most of the time yeah there is some planning and there's definitely if you play in higher player counts the planning kind of increases because you want to combo off of your your friends and and the special abilities but it still gives you this kind of well at least in my opinion it's like this dog fight uh feel so that's kind of the you know basically it, it wasn't fun before and we changed it and it became <laughs> more fun <laughs> that's usually the best yeah. thing you can do as a designer yeah and i think it was for the best i mean i will say again for my very limited exposure to the game and its content I think one of the best things was that feel of dogfighting, especially when I played with two ships because uh, the demo only allowed one to two player play, not uh, all the way to four. And I love, I mean, I again, I wanted to have more tech. I wanted to have more engine improvements. I wanted to have more weapons. Like I, I didn't, <laughs> I wanted even more stuff to use my dice with. Like I think you had, uh, oh man, what was the one that I showed on Slack, Steve? Uh, I think it was the Afterburner. Yep, afterburner. Yep. Which is like a weapon and it shoots you forward, but it blasts the people behind you with like your, you know, your your yeah. engine fire or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is yeah. the coolest thing I've ever seen. But it wasn't like in the demo, so I couldn't get it. And I was like, I want to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just excited by the possibilities of like kidding out my uh, my ship more and being able to do even more stuff and like having even tougher choices with my dice. So I, I think... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the openness you kind of achieved with the new system, as opposed to kind of a more Gloomhaven, like here's the exact thing you do. Whereas at the same time, it is kind of a closed system in that like your movement options are limited. I really like the the interplay of that, where it's you know kind of X-wing ish, but 
a, a big thing I noted in my review and kind of that is important here to note is you can always use any die to rotate once per turn in any direction yeah. you want. So it is a much more freeform system than something like X-Wing where like you have kind of the momentum and it's really tough to go back the way you came unless you do like some kind of 180 turn. So yeah, you, you, you can definitely, and, and the enemies, oh my God, they just stay on you turn after turn as they rotate all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the dog fighting feel, I, I'm really impressed by how you achieve that. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Hey, thank you so much. I, 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 I like the fast and furious type combat. So, so one thing I kind of want to ask about, I've seen this comment come up a few times through uh, on Kickstarter and elsewhere, but talking about the the level of exploration you're going to have in this game, especially when you you know step away from those dogfighting and decide mm-hmm. to land on a planet or explore the galaxy in front of you, and and I'm curious how that's going to impact the replayability. Like, obviously, your first playthrough is going to be I would imagine pretty fun as you, this will be all brand new to you, but as you go on subsequent plays, have you thought about how to manage that? Yeah. So right now, as, as, as we have structured the exploration, you're not going to be able to see everything on your first playthrough. So it would take a couple playthroughs. And so, yeah, we've, we're, we're working with ways to, to kind of, I guess, change that a little bit so that the replayability is higher. But one of the things that I don't think people have caught on yet, and I hope they will when they when they get it is just our our commitment to end game content. And this is like new territory for board games. But we've we've committed to um, creating these high level raids, which instead of it being like a 15 to 20 minute per player, it's more like a 30 to 35, 40 minute per player experience. And uh, and these high level raids are are where you get the best gear, the most intense tactical and puzzle experience, and and I think um I like I don't know this for sure because I don't know if there's any other game that really does this, but I think once players get their hands on the game and they go through the game instead of maybe just like you know what I'm gonna level up a new character I'm gonna explore this whole thing again. I'm cool. I think you can do that probably a couple times before you see all the different exploration pieces. Um, but I think they're going to actually level up their character, finish the storyline, and then stay there for a bit longer to to spec out their character to get those new upgrades. Because I think what we see in MMOs, and this is kind of the experience I want to capture, what we see in MMOs is people love end game content. People want more of it, and. Uh, and this is something that's new, and I'm going to talk more about it as the campaign goes on. But I think I, I might be wrong, um, but I think that when people kind of catch a glimpse of like, oh, this is what like Brendan's talking about when he's saying endgame content, um, that they might actually live there a little bit longer than they're expecting. Talking more about the endgame content, I know you also have an app that you guys are supporting with that allows player scenarios. I assume that's going yeah. to feed into that as well. Yeah, that's that's what we're hoping for. So, you know, kind of I, I think that the, the closest parallel with endgame content that we're aiming for is kind of Destiny-esque. So Destiny does some really cool uh, raids. Do they call them raids in Destiny? I'm not in Destiny. I'm not. Oh, my gosh. I haven't played that in a year, so I forget. <laughs> I know. But but their, their raids, they do pretty cool things because there is a narrative component. There's also puzzle components. And then there's gameplay components and so um, the raids in starlight uh, they actually incorporate most of the different scenarios in 
um, or most of the different types of gameplay in Starlight. So spoiler alert, I'm not going to spoil any stories, but hey, maybe if you're like super want to go into things blind, you can pause for the next minute. The first raid that we have is this kind of fun, you kind of warp into another dimension and um, you're you're told that there's like this, this cache of goods that's hidden on this planet. And, and and to get there, you have to warp into this dimension thing. And there's a certain area. So, so you go to the certain area and you have to hold off um, enemy units for five turns as you construct this device. And so you have all these enemies pouring in from all directions. It's the Ronin pirate ships that are coming to get you. You build the device, you warp, you set up this next um, area, and it's kind of this other world dimension. And so you actually face enemy types that probably shouldn't be working together, but they are in this weird situation. And there's a planet at the other edge of the board. And so your goal is to go to the planet, get the goods on there. And so you fight your way through to the planet, and then you actually have to land on the planet. This is all one scenario. You land on the planet and you explore. There's a little puzzle thing that's happening there. And this is definitely the spoiler piece. But the thing is, while you're exploring the planet, the battle in space rages on. And so if somebody, if one of your partners is not in space, the people, the enemy ships in space will start bombarding you on the planet, um, hurting and killing your pilots as they explore. And so these raids are never meant to be played by themselves, by yourself. And so you'll have at least one person, maybe two pilots in space defending you as you explore this um, planet on, on the ground, unlocking the mysteries, kind of solving that puzzle. You get that, you get out, um, and, and then you're good to go. So that's like, that's an example of one of our high level raids, um, which like love it. And I think it's so cool. That seems pretty cool because you can almost take it like, let's say me and my buddy have a copy of this game. And we've both played the campaign, whether together or solo, but we're like, hey, you know what? We're going to do a raid together, and he can take whatever ship he has, and I can take whatever ship I have, and we can go on this raid together. Was, was that something that's possible? Totally. Yeah. It's like we we want that. Um, and then the, the neat thing with our Starlight app, um, most people are kind of familiar with companion apps, right? Apps that help you play the game and kind of walk the story. But the really cool kind of aspect that we're having with with our creation kit is we're allowing um, kind of users and the community to make their own scenarios. And if they want, they can even link the scenarios together and make campaigns. And if they even want, they can make a whole new rule set based off of our components and release it. They can we're trying, we're hopefully allowing them to do almost whatever they want in that setting. Um, but something that it gives us the access to as well is using our own assets, we can release Starlight Story, um, kind of like Starlight certified uh, scenarios. So we can actually push that content um, so we can have a faster uh, release time as opposed to, you know, once every year or two years where we release a physical expansion, we can actually release a digital expansion where it's using existing game assets to unlock different scenarios and missions and quests in conjunction with hopefully physical expansions that will come. So see, I'm super excited about the raid you were talking about, Brendan. That just sounds so crazy. It reminds me, Steve, I know you love those like big epic Lord of the Rings scenarios where players are doing different things and kind of have different tasks to perform. So the idea of like people kind of uh, serving different functions, but that are supporting each other is really exciting by itself. You know what I'm talking about, Steve? Like, isn't there a Lord of the Rings scenario where like one of you is 
doing one thing, one of these doing another thing. Am I totally off on that? Well, no, there, there's a some of them like that. I mean, each quest you kind of have people full, fill different roles, but there's one quest in particular in the actual saga where there is a uh, one, I don't know, one team that is holding back the forces at the right, right. It's, it's like the Black Gate and the and Mount and Mount Doom, right? Right, right. Yeah, and that's, that's other, what I was Yep, the other team's trying to get to Mount Mount Doom, so, yep. But then also, uh, Brendan, I don't know, I don't know if this is in the cards, maybe I've missed you talking about this kind of thing. Do you think there's going to be any kind of, uh, like, skirmish mode in the game? Because I love the idea of a big raid, but could you just, like, roll up some enemies, roll up some terrain, and then take, like, a cool ship and just go fighting? Because I think the, personally, I think the space combat is fun enough that that would stand on its own pretty well if you just want to do, like, a quick 30-minute play and don't want to get into campaign play. Oh yeah, totally. Like, I'm I'm sure we can build something in, but I actually actually just don't see why. Like, we're we're gonna have uh, different maybe loadouts that you can just that will be like built custom loadouts, right? It's like, hey, this is a a good starting loadout, and so you can kind of get the gear, different engines, weapons, tech upgrades, and then you can go into a scenario. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have that, and even just to flip open the scenario book and be like, hey, this is like. A combat a space scenario awesome rock and roll do it sure I, I know i had a little bit of concern with kind of the small part of the story i saw and i've seen a few comments on the kickstarter kind of about the story so like yeah. who who's writing your story how, how are you what's kind of like your process going to be for like looking at that like literally i mean the actual narrative text like what you read in between missions yep. and stuff yep um so right now we got a guy named uh chris glidden's writing the story so i actually chatted with him yesterday um, and I shared a couple of the concerns. And so we're meeting, I think, early next week. Well, I don't know if we're going to be able to meet in real life. It'll probably be a virtual meeting. Um, and uh, and we're going to talk through some of those things. But you, Mike, along with a couple other backers, I'm actually I'm going to send a, a little Google form um, to get some actually extensive feedback on, hey, what worked with the story? What didn't work with the story? What's your concerns? Um, because... Honestly, we're like, hey, we, we're going to get this story right. Um, and so we're going to ask the people who've been playing the game to provide us feedback. We're going to iterate on that. We're going to release it, see what the um, community says, and then we'll iterate on that and go go from there. So 100% committed to uh, um, finding a sweet spot for the story as far as like tonally and just how it's written um and so we're gonna we're gonna work and do what we need to do to get that yeah very cool and i I, i'm sure i'll have time to fill out the survey since i am at home (laughs) and i'm sure (laughs) many of those listening to this episode are also at home so best of health and best wishes to everybody in all the different circumstances they might have in the current crisis brendan i want to thank you for your time here i do have one final question that'd be kind of fun to ask you is uh so What's your preferred starting ship in Starlight? You know, I love uh, the Merkava, the, uh, the 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 blue ship. Did you guys see the update I posted yesterday with the painted ships? Yes, I did. Yeah, they're they're super cool, aren't they? Um, well, at least I think they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, we agree with you, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so i like the one in the middle the white and blue that's just i don't know why it's just always been a personal favorite but um some of the new designs that justin our artist and then um, nick our 3d uh 3d modeler are are working on are pretty cool like this 
uh, are the early bird ship. It, I like, I'm not too sure what ends the front. Well, I know what ends the front, but um, most people don't, and it's so cool. And some of the other stuff that uh, Justin's coming up with for because we have we we unlocked four new ships, which will be showing up soon. And so I'm I'm just I'm stoked. But right now, if you're to force me to choose, I'd say the Merkava. And all the new stuff for Act Two and Three looks pretty awesome. I mean, I, I know you haven't really shown us what it is yet, but just the fact that it I was going to say it looks pretty awesome. Anything like <laughs> in my mind, what I'm filling the silhouettes in with looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, the I, I love the enemy ships in is it Act Two. Um, they're kind of like weird squid-like, fishy type ships. They're so cool. I think uh, our our 3D modeler is working on them right now. And they're just like, I think they're going to be some of the coolest 3D model ships. But sorry, I'm just, I'm super biased. That's okay. Squid-like. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh... Well, squid, squid-like's wrong. Squid, it's, they're not squid ships. They're like... Well, I'm thinking of, uh, what were the guys called in, uh... Either of you play the Mass Effect series? Yeah. The, the main, 100%. the main villains, uh... Oh yeah, uh, no, not not the Reapers. Were yeah, yeah, the Reapers. They they, they were sort of like oh. tentacled at the bottom or something, right? Yeah, these the uh, so the new ships they're they're part of this people group called called the Yurs, and uh, the Yurs have a interesting background. But they're um yeah, their ships kind of look like fish, like they're they're organic. So they actually they grow their ship. Oh, nice, um, cool. Yeah, so kind of a fun, and then the a little little uh kind of teaser for the act three ships it's kind of like a nomadic viking type tribe-esque pretty excited to show those two soon hey uh any any plans to have an add-on where you can play as the enemy ships as player ships <laughs> I, I don't think so no no that's uh, fine that's fine <laughs> please please don't add any more to your plate <laughs> well yeah probably not i'm just like i, I just I, I glanced at our kickstarter page we're we're closing in on 400k which is fantastic oh my gosh man yeah for 400 canadian k and our canadian dollar has been tanking recently so this actually doesn't bode well for us for the kickstarter i hope it comes up a little bit holy it keeps on going down sorry this is my personal concerns but uh <laughs> we'll we'll be okay okay <laughs> i think one of the craziest times to release a kickstarter yeah i mean on the positive side i guess you have a more captive audience a lot of people are probably like yep. looking online checking the page like not as many things to distract them uh yep. but <laughs> i guess that also leads to way more comments and people will be like i want this i want that <laughs> yeah and we have a well we're extending our pledge manager um post campaign so we have a ton of people backing at $1 and like we're intentionally extending it because I hundred percent know that there's people who are out of work and are not hundred percent sure where their um, next mm -hmm. paycheck or food on the table is coming from. So it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to keep the pledge manager open for as long as we actually can. Um, and I guess I'm not going <laughs> to, we're not going to penalize somebody for um, being quarantined or whatever. That's, that's ridiculous. So now uh, when I read that update, my, my heart was definitely warmed. I thought that was a super, even, even just thinking of the gesture was incredibly uh, kind of y'all. Yeah, no, it's like we, there's there, we had a, we had a guy from, um, from Italy 
And he says he sent us a Facebook message the other day, and he's like, "Hey, if you need someone to translate your rule book, I'm stuck here." <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. All right, Brendan. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really been a pleasure talking to you, and definitely, I am incredibly excited to see where Starlight goes from here. It's an ambitious project, but the kind of ambition I love to see, like just awesome stuff. And even the ideas you've shared here today that I haven't seen are things that I'm really excited about. So, uh, yeah, I hope you keep on going, get up to not just a million Canadian dollars, but a million U.S. dollars. That would be uh, awesome or more. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for your time, Brendan. Hey, thanks, guys, so much. Thanks, listeners. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you at the next stop. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. Good job on that name. <laughs> At least you said it with confidence. I'm not sure it was accurate, but this was. Oh confident. yeah, I mean, hey, hey, I, what, if I've learned anything in my life, it is that you just say it, say it like you know it, and you're good. That's right. <laughs> that's uh, that's teaching 101, I think. Oh yeah, it's like Mr. Kelly. What does this word mean? Uh, it means this. Yeah. Don't look it up. <laughs> <laughs>